Good evening, everybody. Great to see you tonight. What an atmosphere in this house. Hallelujah. Do you know what lifts the atmosphere is when we sing about a wonderful name, a beautiful name, and a powerful name, and we're singing about the name of Jesus. Wow, I love the name of Jesus. I'm here because of the name of Jesus. My salvation comes through the name of Jesus. And so does yours. Hallelujah. Wow, I'm excited tonight. And it's great to be in the house. Great to be with every one of you on this first Wednesday night. It gives me great joy. And it's a great pleasure and an honor to introduce a a dear friend of, of our family, of Anne and I. His name is Kingsley Armstrong. He's come all the way from the UK to minister to us tonight. Kingsley and I and our family, we've ministered together in in our church for many years. Kingsley ministered in our youth camps for, I think, for several years in Norwich, England. And also we've ministered and shared together in various conferences around the British Isles. So, Without any further to do, I want to introduce you a wonderful man of God. He has a beautiful family, and I'm sure he's going to introduce them to you tonight. But we love Kingsley, and I know you're going to love him. He's got a word for you tonight, and I believe this experience is going to be a refreshing for each and every one of us. Let's stand to our feet and let's welcome the Reverend Kingsley Armstrong. Bless you, Kingsley. Thank you. You take, take your seats. It's wonderful to be with you here this evening. I have been here quite a few times before, but I think it's been about three years. So it's a privilege to be with you tonight. I'm an Irishman. I was born in the south of Ireland and moved to the north of Ireland as a, a young boy. Uh, moved over to England then after I got married. And my wife's called Kathy, and I have uh, two children, Jemima, who's 22, and she's a teaching assistant, Isaac, who is 18, and he's just joining the army, the military. And we just got a new dog who's called Texas. And uh, he's a chihuahua, just a little, little thing. Texas seemed to be a good, good uh, name for him. But I spent most of my life traveling. I did work in Norwich for three years from 2009 to 2012 with Alan and Anne and with the wonderful folk there in Norwich. And, of course, I've known Philip for many, many years, going way back to the early youth camps in Norwich, which must be for me about 30 years ago. So we go back a long way, and it's a privilege to come here this evening and to share with you folk. I've been in Houston just this last few days, and I'm on my way home tomorrow, back to the UK. I spend most of my time traveling, so I get back. I'll be in Scotland this weekend preaching, and then uh, next weekend I have a youth missions weekend, then I'm straight off to India, to Jaigon, to the north of India. And I'll be working there with a lot of Bhutanese people where it's illegal to be a Christian in Bhutan. I went there last year and had a wonderful experience where I actually went into Bhutan, but by a back road because you're not allowed to go in. But I went through a quarry in in the back of a car, and it was very exciting. But uh, God's been very good to us over the years. It's been a privilege to be a preacher. I've been a preacher since I was 16 years old, and that's not last year. And I thank God for his, His power to keep throughout the years. I thank God for the privilege of serving Him. I want to share a word with you this evening. I love the Word of God. 
And if it was to put this in front of, of me, I wonder if you could guess what I'm going to speak on if I was just going to hang that there. It's, it's a bit of a biblical picture, really. And uh, I'm going to look at Joshua chapter 2. And it's the story of Rahab in the Bible. And I want to read it to you. What I'm going to do this evening is I'm going to make comments on that passage and hopefully share something that I hope will be liberating for you. I want to give you something that will hopefully help you in living your Christian life. As we've already heard this evening, you know, there are many things that come against us that we struggle against as a Christian, as a believer. There are many people who want to pull us down, but we can have hope uh, in Jesus. And I want to look at this passage, and I'm going to read it through with you. Uh, I think it'll it'll come up on the screen, I think. It's from Joshua chapter 2, and I'm going to read the entire passage. It's a long passage, but I'm not going to preach long tonight. Don't worry, I'm not a long preacher. I want to just share something that I hope will be liberating to you. But I'm going to read through the passage. You can read it with me, or you can follow it in your Bible, whatever you choose to do. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and I'm going to read the entire Joshua chapter 2. And what happened before this is that The children of Israel have wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. And then God said to Moses, he's not going to be the one who brings them into the promised land, but a man called Joshua is. And so this is his book. And he sends two spies into the land at the end of 40 years. And he says to them, I want you to go, especially to Jericho, and I want you to spy out the land. And I want you to bring back a report to me. And so this Joshua chapter 2 is their encounter in the promised land. So we'll read from Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot or a prostitute named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But... She had brought them up to the roof, hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted, Because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. 
and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you've made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be in his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned descended from the mountain and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Now, that is a fantastic story, but I want to ask you a question. When I read through a part of that story, there's one bit of it that I read that is just amazing because I'm going to ask you a question. Who is Rahab? Who was she? The Bible, it mentions her in four places. Here in the book of Joshua, it mentions her twice. It describes her as a harlot or a prostitute. It mentions her in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 where it says, Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. And some believe that, that Salmon was one of the spies, which is a romantic end to the story if that's true, if she married one of the spies. Hebrews 11 verse 31 says, By faith Rahab the harlot, she hid the spies. James 2.25 says, Rahab the harlot was justified by works. But that's all we read about her in the Bible. Who was she? Well, her name Rahab actually is used once in the Bible instead of the name Egypt. God interspersed, he uses that word Rahab when he's talking about Egypt. And Rahab, Ra, was an Egyptian god. So maybe she was from Egypt. We read about her just in the scriptures, but there are some Jewish writings called the Midrash. The Midrash are teachings that the Jews wrote to try and interpret the Bible. Now, they're stories. We can't say they're necessarily true, but they're stories. And the Midrash tells us that at the, at the age of 10, Rahab was trafficked. And that when we read about her in Joshua chapter 2, according to the Midrash, she is 50 years old. Now, I can't promise that's true. It's just some people who wrote, some Jewish people, to describe what happened in the Bible. But if it's true, can you imagine that she was forced to sleep with men from the age of 10 until we read about her at the age of 50. That's 40 years, which coincidentally is exactly the same time 
that the Israelites wandered through the wilderness. What else do we know about her? Well, we know that she lived on the wall. The Bible tells us that her house was on the wall. There were two walls in Jericho, an inside wall and an outside wall. The people who were of most importance lived on the inside wall. In my hometown in North Allerton, there's a bunker. In case that guy from the North, North Korea sends a nuclear bomb our way, there is a bunker in my town. And should there be a call, the most important people in the town, the officials, the, the Lord Mayor, the civil servants who are important, will be, will be ushered into that bunker. It's still there. But I, my name's not on the list. And I'm quite happy about that, actually. But I guess it's for the people who would then be able to continue. I don't believe anything like that will happen, but that's what is there in our town. And I thought of that thinking of this. She, she, in the, in the, uh, the town of Jericho, the city of Jericho, there was an inside wall where I guess the king probably lived and the important people probably lived. But she lived on the wall, which was the very outside of the city. So she was marginalized. She lived at the very extent of where she could live and still be in the city. Now, I wonder about you this evening. I want to try and, and drive something into your mind tonight. A lot of people feel marginalized. And there can be reasons why you feel marginalized. As Christians in America, Christians can feel marginalized because the way that, that the world is going, a lot of times people say, you can't say that. Oh, you can't say that. Well, we can feel marginalized. In the UK, Christians feel marginalized for baking a cake or for not baking a cake, as it may happen to be. People can be marginalized if they're ill. If you have an illness, it can make you feel marginalized. As you get older, you can feel marginalized. We live in a youth culture society where as you get older, you can feel like you're on the edge of society. People who've been abused, people who have been drug abusers can feel marginalized. They're on the, right on the very edge of acceptability, on, uh, of the edge of society. So Rahab was a marginalized lady. Another thing that marginalized her was that when the spies said to bring her family in, there's no mention of a husband. No husband and no children. Now in the, in the, in the culture that she lived in, that was a disgrace. Who would want to marry a prostitute? What man would want to bring a prostitute into his house as his wife? So I'm trying to build you a picture of what this woman looks like. She's maybe 50 years old. She sleeps with guys, not voluntarily. That's what she was forced to do from the age of 10, if those writings are true. She lives on the very edge of the city. So she is marginalized. Now, I would imagine that because of what she was forced to do, there's probably not too many of us in here tonight that could say we are more marginalized than she was. I don't know your circumstances, but I think looking at this lady, she was in a pretty, in a pretty bad place. Now, then I want to ask you a question about the passage that we read. Because when we read through, through this passage, knowing what I've just told you, these guys come into her house and she decides to hide them. 
The king sends some men to knock at the door. That was her opportunity. She could have given them to the king. She could have handed them over. Maybe she'd have got a better house. Maybe she'd have been moved into the center of the city. Maybe she'd have been given any money that she wanted, but she didn't. She hid the spies. And it was what she said to the spies that I find the most incredibly challenging thing as we read through this passage. And the question I want to ask you is this. How did this woman, as marginalized as she was, say the things that she did? Look in your Bible if you have it there. In verse 9, as she went up on the roof to talk to the two men, she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. How did she know that? How did she know that? I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. How did she know that? Look at the next verse, verse 10. And the question I'm asking is, how did she get this revelation? Look, at she talked about these, these men, Sion and Og. Look, she says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. How did she hear that? What you did to the two kings of the Amorites, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Sion and Og were Amorite kings. She lived in an Amorite place. The Amorites lived on the east and the west of the Jordan. Sion and Og were two that descended, they believe, from giants. It talks about them in the Bible, how tall they were. It tells you how, I think it's Og's bed, what size it was. They believed that they were between 9 and 15 feet tall. Now that's basketball player size. That's more than that, actually. So they were big dudes, and they lived by terrorizing people. They were the most feared kings of their time, and yet God handed them. She says, we heard what God did to them. We heard how God dried up the Red Sea. We heard how God brought your people out of Egypt. How did she hear that? Well, of course, the men would have talked to her, but how did she hear that? She says in verse 11, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. You might have read this passage many times. I don't know if you've ever asked that question, but if ever there was a marginalized lady who lived on the edge of society, who had a reason to complain and had a reason to say, I'm not, I'm giving up on life. Uh, There's no future for me. Nobody loves me. If ever there was a woman who had a reason to say that this is the woman Rahab, but she didn't. And I want to look at why she didn't. She had one thing that other people in the city did not have. One or two of them will have had, but she had one thing it talks about in this passage that she had that others did not have. It says that she had a window on her wall. And she looked out through the window. What did she see when she looked out through the window? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to just investigate a little bit because when the two spies come to her, they go up to her in the roof and she says to them, listen, I could have handed you over. I could have given you to the king. I know you've come to take our city, but I want to make an agreement with you. If I hide you and I keep you safe, I want you to give me a token. I want a promise for you as well. I promise I will keep you safe, but you're not getting this free. I want you to make me a promise as well, and I want you to give me a token as a, as a proof of the promise that we're going to make. So they, she, they said to her, bring your family in, 
hide them in, and then they, they, they took a bit of, of a cord. This isn't the rope. It's diff- there are two bits of rope here. One was a rope that she let. She probably let men down. The king might have been on that rope one time, not wanting anybody to know he'd been to see the lady. That wasn't the rope. We're not talking about the rope. There was a cord, a red cord. It might have been her cord. Probably made from flax. That's what she did as well. She had flax drying on the roof. It may well have been that. A cord is something. It's strands that are bound together. And they took this red cord, a scarlet cord. And they said to her, tie this to your window. And when we come back, when we see the cord, whosoever is behind that window is safe. If they come out from the house, then their blood be on their own head. But if anything happens to them inside the house, then it's our responsibility. They weren't going to say that, that anything was going to happen. They said, basically, within the house, you are safe. So she took the cord and she tied it to her window. Well, the, the word for this, this it only comes this, this um, described as a cord in this one part of the Bible. But the Hebrew word that's translated cord is the word tikvah. Tikvah is a Hebrew word. In fact, if you ever go to Israel, the, the national anthem of Israel is called Ha-Tikvah. And Tikvah means hope. That's what the word means. It means hope. And when I studied it, I discovered that it's from another Hebrew word. It's, it's the, the, the root of the word is a word Kava. And Kava means to bind together. To bind together. That's where the idea of the cord comes from. And whenever you find the word tikvah in the Bible, for example, it comes in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. You know where, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a future and a tikvah. It's the same word. He said, I'm going to give you a future and I'm going to give you a hope. So she hung hope to her window. And it changed everything in her life. And so the question that I'm going to ask you this evening on this monthly Wednesday evening is this. What are you hanging in your window? What's hanging in your window? Some people, what's hanging in their window is before they get out of bed in the morning, they have their phone, they turn it on to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and by the time they get out of bed, they're thoroughly depressed because nobody's liked anything they put on the night before. So they're defeated before their feet touch the floor. What are you hanging in your window? Oh, you might have reasons For the way that you feel this evening, you may have good justifiable reasons, but this lady did. She had reasons why she felt the way that she felt, but she looked out through her window. And when other people saw the enemy coming, she saw her deliverer coming. When other people looked and saw depression, she looked and saw her Savior. So what are you hanging to your window? The binding together is a binding together of the promises of God. You see, she, when she looked through her window, I don't know how she found this out, but she knew about the Israelites. She knew how they were delivered from Egypt. She heard about a God who saw slaves who were in their land as slaves. She was a slave. And she thought to herself, if that God, if there's a God up there, if he loves slaves, I'm a slave. Maybe the same God who delivered those slaves will come and deliver me also. 
And so she lived looking through her window in hope. And it changed her completely. Her life was changed. Let me give you one other place where it comes because it will relate to this. You see, the same word comes in the book of Ruth. Now, if, if Matthew is right, and we believe it is, of course, Rahab, Rahab uh, married Salmon and had Boaz. And Boaz married Ruth. So there's a relationship uh, between the two of them. But let me, let me tell you something that happened with, with Ruth later on and with Naomi. And, and the chapter is Ruth chapter 1. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of the story just, just to, to give you a little illustration of this. In the book of Ruth, we have a lady called, called Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons. And there's a famine in Bethlehem where they live. So they go to the land of Moab. And while they're in Moab, her husband dies. They have two sons, Malon and Kilian. They marry two women, Orpah and Ruth, who are Moabitesses. And while Naomi is there, her husband dies. Then her son number one dies. Then her son number two dies. And so she is in a terrible place because she's lost. She's buried her husband and she's buried both her sons. And so she calls her daughters to her one day. And she says to them, listen, I'm going back home to Bethlehem because I've heard there's some food there. But I want you to stay here and I want you to find a new husband. And maybe, maybe, maybe we've heard it preached on where, where Orpah agrees to stay in Moab, in Moab but, but Ruth comes to her and clings to her and says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. And it's a beautiful verse you've probably heard preached on many times. And she goes back to Bethlehem with Naomi. But I want you to notice a word in, in Ruth chapter 1. It's verse 11 to 13. Here's what she says to them. Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, tikva, it's the same word. If I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes. Now listen, here's what she says. For the hand of the Lord has gone out. You see it there? The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So she blamed God for where she was. Now a lot of people blame God today. For the circumstance, some people who don't believe in God blame God. Which is a bit ironic, really. But I want you to notice what happened to her. Because after this, where it, where it is in Ruth chapter 1, she goes back. She hangs in her window. There's no hope for me. There is no hope for me. Because my husband's dead. My son is dead. My other son is dead. I have no future. So I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. When she gets back to Bethlehem, you read it sometime in Ruth chapter 1. When she gets back to Bethlehem, the women see her. And they say to her, oh, look, there's Naomi. She's come back home. How wonderful to see you, Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. And Naomi stops them immediately. She says to them, don't call me Naomi which means pleasant, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because I've become a bitter woman. Because I'm hanging hopelessness in my window. 
Now, I don't want to, to criticize uh, Naomi because she's lost her husband, she's lost her child, she's lost her other child. It's a terrible circumstance to be in. But listen, when we are in circumstances, we've got to do something about where we are. And every one of us have that opportunity tonight to look at our circumstances and we'll make a judgment over them. And you can decide what you hang in your window. You can hang hopelessness in your window if you want, but it'll make you bitter. You might have been abused. You might have been rejected. You might not know who your father is. He might have walked out before you were born. And you might be able to say, as pastor said tonight, standing up here, oh, you look and you think everything's okay up here, but you, you have a terrible situation back in your home to go home to this very night. And you can hang that in your window and say it's hopeless. But that's what Rahab, she had in one sense, worse circumstances than we could possibly have. But she made a decision that in her window, she was going to hang the promises of God. And the promises of God was going to change her life. So listen, folks, you have an opportunity to hang the promises of God in your window. I was sharing this in my home church. It was actually part of last year. I was sharing this in my home church. And a few weeks later, I was back. I'm very rarely in my church. I'm not the pastor there, but I, I, I'm part of the, the, the team in church. And I was back in my, in my home church, just sitting there, and a young girl came up to me. It was a youth service, and the, the girl's a little bit younger than my son, and they were doing the prayers that day. So she came to me at the end of the meeting, and she had a piece of, of red cord like this. I brought loads of these to give to you tonight. It's a little bit of red string, really. She had a bit of this tied around her wrist. And she said to me, she said, listen, I, I, I was listening. To, I don't normally listen to the messages, but I did listen to your message a few weeks ago. She says, I've got special needs. She was at the front of the church because her two brothers were at the front of the church. One of them is very severely autistic. So you know when he's in the service because he's running around the front making noise all the time. That's fine in our church. It's, it's, that's just the way that it is. But these two boys were there. But she says, you can't see it in me, but I also have special needs. And I struggle in school. And she says, when you came and preached that word, it was the start of my my exam week. She says, so I went out and I bought a piece of red cord and I tied it to my wrist. And she says, every exam I went into, I held it in front of me and I thought of the promises of God as I did my exams. And she said, I changed my life. Because the report in her life was, you've got special needs. You'll never pass your maths. You'll never pass your English. You're a failure. And we can believe those things because others will hang them. But listen, don't let anybody else hang something in your window. They've not got a right to hang something in your window. Somebody else will try to do that and say you are hopeless. Look at where you've come from. Look at your mom. Look at your dad. Look at your home. Look at your finances. Look at where you're from. You don't hang any of that in your window. Don't let anybody hang something in your window. We are all on a level ground this evening. When we come to the cross, there isn't rich or poor. There's just sinners who come to the cross. And when we exchange, there's a divine exchange happens at the cross where he took all of the junk and the rubbish that was in our lives and he gives us everything that he has. He became poor so we could become rich in God. What an exchange that is. And I want to encourage you this evening. I don't know what your circumstances are. You don't know what my circumstances are. But I want to promise you this. When you hang the promises of God in your window, it will change your life. Now, there are many promises in Scripture. 
And there are lots of general promises. But maybe just to take this one little bit further, maybe some of you are standing on a promise that God gave you many, many years ago, but it's never been fulfilled yet. Don't give up on the promises of God. The first scripture I ever learned as a boy, the first one, at least I think it was, it's the one I remember. It's not John 3.16, it's Matthew 6.33. It's the first one I ever remember learning. But, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's the first verse that I think I ever learned. I didn't know that years later God would call me to travel. I travel extensively. I haven't found anybody yet to give me plane tickets when I, when I fly. But I want to tell you, I never lose any sleep. I don't lose any sleep ever of worrying about how I'm going to pay for my flights. It just does not happen. Because hung on my window is Matthew 6, 33. Seek first my kingdom, I'm a right. Everything I see, I see through that. So it's not possible for me not to pay for my flight. It's not possible. Because God says, if I seek first his kingdom, all these things will be added onto me. So I'm going to ask you a question tonight. What's hanging on your window? What have you hung in your window? Because it will change you. It won't change God, because God is God. He changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus said that. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. His faithfulness, Joshua said at the end of his life, not one promise has failed of all the good promises that God has given. They are all yea and amen in Christ. That's what Paul says. Every promise. But I want to ask you tonight, what promise are you going to hang to your window, because it will change you tomorrow morning. When you get up tomorrow morning, you go to work. What's the promises that God has given you? Sometimes I meet people who live in such, such tremendous pressure because of the circumstances that have come in their lives. But I've discovered with this message of Rahab is that actually God doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to hang the rope of hope in our window so it changes, not him, but it changes us. Sometimes we have testimonies. You know, sometimes maybe, and I'll finish with this, sometimes we, we get people up on the stage and they give uh, a testimony. And what we mean really is give, we, we do it wrong really, because we're saying to people, tell us about that 1% or 5% of when God answered a prayer that you've been believing for for maybe months, maybe years. And we celebrate the testimony which we say is that 1%. But listen, God was the same five minutes before he answered that prayer. In fact, God had that prayer answered from the moment you asked him. He didn't change. He didn't suddenly say, oh, great, I found some spare cash in heaven. I'm going to send it your way. No, he knew how he was going to answer your prayer. So the testimony tonight is this. A testimony is, hey, I'm, I'm not feeling too good, but by his stripes, I'm healed. I don't know how I'm going to pay my money, but God is the provider of every need. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you. I brought loads of these, and I'm going to leave them at the front before I hang back, hang back to Pastor Allen. And uh, I'm going to leave these at the front. There are tons of them, and uh, you, can take a, you can take several if you want. I'm not going to give them to you because that would be easy. If I gave them to you, all you'd have to do is receive them. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to get one of them. And I want you to, you don't have to tie, this isn't some um, funny religious thing. And uh, I was brought up in a Catholic country. This is not a Catholic thing that's holy water that was blessed by the Pope. The Pope never saw these, all right? It's okay. All it is is a bit of string. 
a red bit of string. But it can be a reminder. I have them, I have them all over the place, tied to my rucksacks, tied to my inside my, my Bible as bookmarkers. It reminds me of the promises of God. And I can only do what I do because of the promises of God. You can only do what you do because of the promises of God. And you might be the poorest man or woman or boy or girl in this place. But I can guarantee you, you hang on to the promises of God and everything will change. First of all, you will change. But then God will change your circumstances. Rahab, a prostitute with no future. Well, in in the future, she marries this guy, Salmon. They have a child called Boaz. Boaz marries Ruth. Eventually, they give birth to the Son of God. Can you imagine? God wrote a prostitute into his lineage. Wow. See how he loves you. He loves you so much. And he's given every promise for you. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand back uh, to, to Alan here, and uh, then whatever way you want to do it, Alan. But it'd be nice if people could take one of these and just make it. And this isn't a one-off sermon. I'm not giving you a little message to tickle you. This, this will change your life. I can promise you this will change your life. This will change your life tomorrow morning, tomorrow night. If you hold on to this, nothing will be the same because the promises will be hung before you at all times. Father, I thank you this morning for this evening, for your presence with us. I thank you, Lord, that you're here and that you love each one. I thank you for Encounter Church. I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you for Pastor Philip and Kelly. Thank you for them away with Judah. Thank you that you're with them in Florida. Thank you that you're here. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this fellowship tonight, those who are listening. I pray, God, that for each of us, forgive us if we've hung doubt and despair on our window. Forgive us if we've hung depression on our window. Forgive us if, even though the circumstances are the way we see them, forgive us if we've hung it out for everyone to see and for us to hang before you and say, hey, nothing good can come from this. Lord, I pray tonight that you will forgive us and cleanse us and that we will, as your children, will hang the promises of God in our window. So that when we look out, when others see the enemy coming, we'll see our deliverance coming. We'll see the Savior. We'll see the one who will heal us. We'll see the one who will provide for every need. We'll see the one who will bring our lifetime partner to us. We'll see the one who will give us children and cause us to give birth. We'll see the one who gives us promotion at work. We'll see the one who brings blessing into our lives. We'll see the one who will take us to the nations to preach the gospel. So, Lord, bless, I pray, each one of your children in this place tonight. In Jesus' name. One last thing. If you're in this place tonight and you don't know Jesus, listen, what hope do you have? You have no hope without Christ. If I were you, I would say, Lord Jesus, I need your hope. You died on the cross to give me hope. Come and cleanse me tonight. I need your hope in my life. Come, Lord Jesus, cleanse me of my sin. Forgive me and come and live in my life tonight. I hand my life over to you. And I will hold on to your hope. Come, Lord, with me back to my circumstances. But as I hope in you, Lord, I know that I can't change my circumstances, but I thank you that you can. 
And so I trust in you and your promises. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you.